Hello, and welcome to another episode of your new favorite podcast. My name is Bethany Mandel, and this is Take Back Our Schools. And I am joined by my favorite podcast co-host, Andrew Gutman. Um, my name is Bethany, as I just said. Uh, I am a homeschool mom of five and a uh, contributing writer for Deseret News. And I'm also the editor of a new incredible uh, series of books for children that are biographical sort of looks at our heroes called Heroes of Liberty, which you can get on heroesofliberty.com. We have uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, Thomas Sowell available right now. And if you're a subscriber, you will get uh, uh, the first look at our new book that came out in February called about John Wayne. Um, So Andrew, who are you? I'm Andrew Gutman. I am the accidental education activist, the Brewerly Dad, having written a letter that went viral about critical race theory. Well, I, I, I saw you in the Times about your series. Oh, yeah. That was, was kind of cool. Times. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was surprised. And um, I was surprised that it wasn't a hit piece, honestly. Thank you. No, I know. I was actually. Yeah. No, I thought that was pretty good. I was shocked. So, anyway. Not that I didn't me. get dragged on the left anyway, but. Whatever. Yeah. That's, what do. that's That's what happens. Yeah. All right. So who do we got so, today? So we are going to talk to my favorite teacher currently. His name is Daniel Buck. He is a teacher at a private school. He's an English teacher. I totally know that. It's not because we're recording this introduction after we've had that conversation. No, no, no. I already knew this information. He is a teacher of um, sixth to eighth grade students in English. And he's also the editor-in-chief of Chalkboard Review. Um, in addition, he is a visiting fellow at the Hudson Institute. Fordham. Freak- For- no. Fordham Wrong. Institute. Uh-huh. No, I got, the, I got the website up. Thomas Fordham okay. Institute. Uh, okay. Whatever. I got it up on my other screen here. Okay. I believe you. And he's okay. a frequent writer for uh, National Review. But before we get into our conversation with him, I want us, me and you, especially you, to take a little bit of a victory lap. What exciting thing happened in schools in your area? Because where do you live, Andrew? I, embarrassingly enough, live in New Jersey. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I know. It's temporary. And our wonderful tyrant governor did announce today that he was going to eventually, in about a month, remove the mask mandates for schools. And then two other states followed today, Mm -hmm. which is Connecticut and Oregon and Kathy Hochul in New York. Delaware also? To Delaware also, then it's four, I think. Yeah, I think Delaware did also. And Hochul in New York is going to have a press conference on Wednesday, which is uh, two days. She sounds like she's going to peg it to the vax, though. That's that's what that's. Yeah, that's the rumor. Really ticks me off. But now even in New Jersey. It's going to be up to the school district. So it's not like they're off. Oh, it's going to be up there. Uh, it's going to be a whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's better, but it's. So, okay. um, so do you have any word from your kid's school yet? Cause she goes private, right? My, yeah. She's private. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's the word? No word. No word. Interesting. No word, no word yet. So can yeah. I give you unsolicited advice? That's like my favorite thing to do. Yeah, please. Um, proactively organize parents to uh, contact the school. So opt out. I, uh, I know that that's tricky. not in your, that's not what you normally do. You're not like an organizer. You're not loud. No, that's not the issue. She's not masked. Oh, right. Mazel so tov. yeah, she's the only one. Okay. So well, can I, I have... give you more unsolicited advice? Yes. Do it anyway. 
so that she's I'm not. Tr- the no, only one. I okay. I told my daughter this morning because we found this out at breakfast that Murphy right. had done this, right. and I told her to start organizing the kids. Good for you. Yes. Yes. So did you see this video of this kid in Washington state who like led the walkout at his yes. college? Yes. I showed it to my kids and my eight and a half year old was like Rocky. She's like, yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's really sad that we've put children in this position where they have to be self-advocates for their own semi-normal childhood. But this is what we've done. It's really disgusting. Yeah. Parents should have fought this. We should, this needed mm-hmm. to be fought at the beginning. Can, can I share with you my favorite? Isn't it funny how we said after we recorded our episode with Daniel, we we're like, we have to make this introduction like super duper really short. Really quick. Yeah. Really, really quick. And then me, of course, I'm like, I'm just read you this tweet. Let me talk about this. Let me read you my favorite tweet of the day. That was so <laughs> brutal. Jenny Erickson on Twitter. She, I've, I've been friends with her for like, 12 years, probably Jenny Erickson with no C on Twitter. Too many parents think they nobly sacrifice their children's mental health to survive COVID. And I think these children should think long and hard about what kind of nursing home they send their parents to do just as much research as your parents did for you kids. Amen, sister. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. It's, I don't know how this generation is going to turn out. I'm a little no, worried about that. It's bad. It's, it's, it's bad. really bad. Because yeah. it's 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 not just, it's like, are these kids going to be able to read? I, I saw this crazy statistic that I've already pulled up today because this is my second podcast of the day. Lord knows, thank God I can talk or uh, it would be really bad. So I saw this statistic today and I've seen it several times and it blows my mind every single time. 77% of Baltimore high school students are reading on grade or I'm sorry, 77% of high school students at one Baltimore high school are reading at an elementary level. 77% of high school students at a school are reading on an elementary level, not just not reading on level, but they're reading on an elementary school level. Yeah. Like that's terrifying. And what's going to happen to the kids in that school district who learned how to read with masks on. Yeah. I have no idea. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It's bad. Yeah. No, it's I, I mean, I mean it's like, terrific. these are just lost two years. They're just gone. Yeah. And they, you never make back. up. I mean, some kids will never make up from those two years. Oh, no, no. You know, rich kids can, can figure it out, mm-hmm. but, and, you know, but no, a lot of kids won't. No, it's really bad. So our guest, Daniel, is part of the solution. And that's, you know, this take back our schools. This is, you know, why we started this show because we want to take back our schools. And Daniel is a fantastic teacher. He won't, he, he won't say it himself. So we'll say it. He's a fantastic teacher and he is not just, you know, changing lives in the classroom, but he's also, you know, editing this incredible publication that is, um, is trying to change education from a macro and a micro level. And, um, it's so desperately needed and, um, and he's got an uphill fight and um and we wanted to cheer him on um so i think we should just introduce that conversation and and let's have it because we've already had it and i can tell you with certainty it's a good one so here we go daniel buck super happy to welcome to the show uh one of my favorite teachers daniel buck um 
we talked a little bit about uh, Mr. Buck. Is that what your kids call you, Mr. Buck? Yeah, they do. It still weirds me out. It's my dad's name. We've had you on our list of guests for a while now. So we've we've been doing this show for a couple months and I had, you know, a list of potential guests and, you know, a, a red-pilled teacher that is running a website about education is like right in our wheelhouse. And yet we didn't have you until now, which I'm actually glad about because what what happened to y'all this week, Mr. Buck? Well, the chalkboard review got uh, suspended by Twitter with no explanation, which it sounds like that happened to you recently. I was yeah. listening to some of your backlog with your uh, your children's books, which you should all go buy because they're excellent. Um, but yeah, we we woke up one morning and one of our some one of the people on our social media team went to you know post the article for the day, and we were suspended. And we um, emailed Twitter several times trying to get an explanation and there was just no explanation. You know, people online were asking us, well, what was the offending tweet? Tell us what the offending tweet was. And like, we don't know. There are none. They Had you gotten warnings before? No. No. Okay. So this was first out of the book. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're a nonpartisan website. If I'm being blatantly honest, um, we lean to the right, which then compared to most of education, we might as well be wearing jackboots, but compared to the broader culture, we're pretty darn centrist. So the stuff we're posting really isn't that edgy. It's not that controversial. Again, compared to education, it is, but compared right, to right. the broader discussion. So what was the post that you were going to post? Like just to give us sort of an idea of the people. So first of all, tell us your website. Uh, it's called thechalkboardreview.com. Okay. Um, so what what's the kind of content that you post? So I don't remember what the article was for that day. You but can I mean, make it up, Daniel. No one will know. <laughs> it That's was the key of podcasting. The day before, uh, it was about literacy's impact on poverty and vice versa and how we need to be focusing on teaching reading, not politics. And then the day after was um, how we need to be selecting our books well. And if we're just giving them young adult fiction all the time, it's like feeding our kids junk food versus carrots and celery, which very controversial content. Yes. Just horribly, horribly, horribly uh, fringy and outlandish. So you wake up, you email Twitter. Then what happened? Three more of our team members accounts got suspended too. Um, We started making a ruckus on social media. We have friends with big accounts uh, we know editors and writers and journalists at Fox and National Review and Daily Caller and elsewhere. So we sent this story to them and we just started and making yours them. truly. Yes. And yours truly, you helped us as well. Again, we have lots of friends with big accounts. So my, my apologies for not including you in that list. Um, we got onto podcasts like this wonderful podcast to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and we just started making a social media ruckus out of it. Good. And then we also have friends at the Heritage uh, Foundation who were, you know, advocating to Twitter on our behalf, which is, I'm glad that we do, because I think that's the only reason we got our main account back. You know, we have friends. Is that Lindsay? Uh, Yes, Lindsay. And then there were a few other people on their, you know, not in their education space, but in their, I don't know, their business department. Yeah. How long were you down for? Our account was down for about 24 hours. We still have three of our staff members have gotten they haven't gotten their accounts back yet. Here's my favorite part of the story. Who's responsible for reporting your account? It was, no, no, no. Even before I get there, I, I'm going to build okay. the suspense. Um, 
a few people accused us of um, spreading a conspiracy theory that maybe the union had something to do with this. Mm-mm. You know, the NEA basically said they were going to start pressuring social media companies to take down anti-CRT stuff. Uh, these same people also suggested that this was all a publicity stunt that we tried to gin up on our own. It's not. Um, and then we find out it's a leader in the NEA had reported us a few times and she'd made the mistake of posting the screenshot on Twitter. Like people, if you're going to try and get somebody banned or you're going to do something wrong on the internet, don't admit to it on the public feed. Uh, so we realized that it, the union was implicated to some extent in getting our account, uh, not permanently. Well, they tried to get it permanently suspended, but again, we appealed against it, but we still have three people that are still out that, you know, had one of them had a rather large account and she posted about parenting things and pictures of bunnies. It's just the most wholesome, heartwarming account you could possibly imagine. They haven't given a reason why these account these other accounts are suspended, right? They've never given a reason for any of them. Yeah, no, I mean, they when they reinstated it, they said, oh, sorry, you haven't actually broken any of our rules. It that sounds was the familiar. Conversation. What's next? Are you, are you using all of your contacts to like still try to get these folks reinstated? I mean, yeah, we're working with Heritage to try and get these folks reinstated. We're still talking with media outlets. Um, unfortunately, the media hype kind of dies when you get your main account back, but then there's still right. all of these other people that are collateral damage in these... Um, tech censorship culture war battles that yeah they don't get talked about you know yes the big huge accounts it makes the news and then all of these medium to small accounts just disappear and everyone forgets about them and then nothing happens you told us a little bit about the kind of content you do so how did um how did how did y'all start doing what you're doing and why did you start doing what you're doing it started with a message that a teacher sent to me it was some first year teacher I've been writing as a conservative about education for a while. And a teacher reached out and it was just like, who, who else is out there? Is there anyone that I can write there? Is there anyone else that I can read? And I started thinking about it and I'm like, Ed Week is a big news, or- news organization in the education space, leans to the left. Uh, there's education post and 74 million lean to the left. There are a few think tanks that write about education from a conservative you know, angle or from a centrist angle, but they're all just scholarly reports. I could write for like National Review or Washington Examiner, but they just want the political hot takes. They want the policy debates. They don't want the nerdy discussions about uh, instruction and curriculum building and these kinds of things. So I talked with Tony Kittett, who people um, might know at this point, the uh, big leaker of CRT information in Indianapolis public schools. We need a better word than leaker. Um, On but Twitter, I talked with him. The Tonus. Yes, the Tonus. So I started talking with him and we just started publishing articles from uh, center left to red right, everything. Um, and it's been wildly popular. We got a lot of people reading it. We get um, a lot of support. When we went down, I just got so many messages from people saying, uh, I don't agree with you, but I like what you're doing and I like your website. And I like the fact that you're trying to have free and open discourse. 
which is seemingly now a conservative uh, position to hold. But that's that's what we're about. Our only agenda is free and open discourse. And when did you start? A, about a year and a half ago. I was on back in May. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we had you on when you were uh, making rounds in the media. Yeah. What's what's sort of next for you guys? I mean, how much impact are you having? You haven't been around for too long, but mm-hmm. already you're in the crosshairs of the NEA. What's what are your targets on the horizon? Who are you, who are you going after? I think we just hit one of our main targets, which was become established and known to some extent. Um, yeah. Like we have a platform now yeah. and that's what hopefully been, it's the dry sand effect. Yeah. We've been building and building and building and building. And now we finally feel like we are at a established position. Um, I mean, our, our models that we're kind of looking to are like the national review of education uh, yeah. there, you know, the national review is not solely, but had a big hand in forming the modern Republican party. They took together the libertarians, the anti-communists, the Christian, right? These people that didn't have a ton in common mm-hmm. and somehow brought them together in one coalition. And there are lots of people in the education world, the classical education folks, the liberal education folks, the, um, a lot of the project-based learning folks. I mean, there are more they all, they, they don't see eye to eye on everything, but they all don't like the insanity going on in public education right now. They want to return to the schools to a focus on academics and, you know, order and uh, a teacher as an authority, like a healthy, loving authority mm-hmm. figure. You know, there's a lot of the stuff that we all have in common that once we get that established, we can kind of have the the minutia debates, but we're trying to bring together a coalition of people that are willing to discuss these issues and also push back against some of the far left, very progressive um, insanity going on in the schools at the moment. Yeah. Is CRT sort of the glue to bring all those groups together? Is that sort of the main thing? Yeah, CRT, I think there's... Uh, general assessment that charter schools and um, school choice is a good thing. How, how widespread should charter schools and school choice be? What should it look like? Still kind of up for debate, but everyone tends to agree that those are a good thing that CRT and the, like the politicization of the classroom is a bad thing. Um, Trying to get rid of the classics in the classroom altogether is a bad thing. So, Here's my question. This is a question we should have started off with. What do you teach? I teach. I'm a terrible podcast host. That's all right. I teach English. Uh, Okay. To what grade? Six through eight right now. I used to teach ESL, English as a second language to uh, Somali refugees. So that's always fun when people accuse me of just, you know, only working in privileged schools. It's like, let's (laughs) let's talk about some of my uh, previous years. So you're at a private school? Private school right now, yeah, I was public for a number of years, and then I wanted to teach in person when the pandemic began, so I jumped ship. How does how different is your classroom from someone who is of a different political persuasion? Like from a like real sort of everyday. First of all, do your kids know what you do? I think is my first question, and then my second question is, how does it look different? Okay, do they know? Do you mean do they know what I do on the side? The side gig? No, they have no idea. They don't know. Does your administration? Uh, my principal does. 
That's about it. Supportive or unsupportive or neutral? Yeah, he just said as long as you don't, you know, implicate okay. our school in it, that's fine. God bless the private schools. Um, Is that part of why you wanted to jump ship too? So you could have some more freedom? No, changing to a private school came first. And then once I realized I had more freedom, that's when I went public with my views and kind of gained a following quickly because a conservative teacher is a bit of a unicorn right now. There's, they're, they're not, they're not, well, there are more out there than people realize, but not many are in a place that can speak up. They're hidden. Yes, they are hidden. They are we, silenced. That, so yeah. I have to go on the side tangent. Um, my first job, we had these dumb signs that said blank is reading blank. And you were supposed to put like Mr. Buck is reading and whatever book you were reading. And I had Anthem by Ayn Rand up there or is Atlas shrugged and a teacher poked his head in the classroom and he goes, are you? I was like, what? He's like, you're reading Ayn Rand. I was like, yeah. He's like, so you, and like we paused and looked at each other. It's like, are you a conservative? And I like froze up and he goes, it's okay. It's safe. Me too. There's like four of us. We'll talk later. And then runs away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we're this little underground society throwing up a secret flag. Uh, your question. Oh, how does my English classroom look different? Yeah. So I have specifics I can get into. I had to use Lucy Calkins, which is this really popular curriculum out there. Um, in short, kids pick their own books that they're reading and they spend most of the class time reading. There's not really a whole lot of central discussion going on. Uh, they learn from a list of books or they can really pick anything. I mean, they can pick anything. Book. It's almost always, it's almost always graphic novels or young adult fiction. They're kind of pushed into like a progressive contemporary YA fiction direction. Um, they always are reading through a lens. So they're reading through a race lens. They're reading the book through a gender lens. Uh, the textbook I had to use in teacher training encouraged us to read through a Marxist lens. And then what little collective reading that there is, it might be 20 pages excerpted from a book or watching clips from a movie. So that's kind of the progressive approach. My approach is what, I mean, we all probably experienced in the English language arts classroom. You're reading a book collectively. Sometimes you read out loud together. Sometimes mm -hmm. you read silently in the classroom. Sometimes you have a chapter assigned at night and then we get together and talk about it. And sometimes the conversations last five minutes and sometimes they last more than one class because it's just so rich and awesome that we have to keep going. Um, so those are kind of the, the two choices that you got, pick your own books, watch movies, young adult fiction, graphic novels, or talk about a great book together with students and teacher. And are you allowed to decide what those great books are, or do you have to, or, or is the school dictating what, what those, you know, what's on the new reading list? Cause I, I know in the private school world, they have significantly changed. A lot of schools have the, you know, the reading lists and yeah. gotten rid of the great books. Um, so at the public school I was at, they still had, they read like four classic works throughout the course of the year. But at that point, most of the teachers, I mean, I had one teacher, he read To Kill a Mockingbird and he only read 15 of the chapters and they watched the movie for the rest of it. Or they read parts of scenes of Romeo and Juliet. They never actually read every single word of it. And I was like the edgy teacher and I got my kids at first I hooked them by being like, guys, we're going to do what they say not to do. And we're going to read the whole book. Um, so that blew their mind at the private school. I kind of have freedom of choice. I usually, I have my go-tos 
And then every once in a while I'll get bored and I'll ask the students like, eh, I want to read something new. I'm thinking about one of these three books. What do you guys want to read? And I'll pitch them you know, three, three novels or a poetry unit or something and just go with what they want to do. Here's a hypothetical. Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or Mike Pence, I don't know, or someone else comes to you and says, you're my education guy. You will head my education department in my administration. What are my priorities? What are you, what are you telling me to do? First of all, what do you think I should do? And maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's different. What, um, what will get me elected? Sometimes it may not be the same thing. Yeah. What should be done and what will get me elected. So what would your answer be to this hypothetical candidate who comes knocking on your door? What should be done is all of the decisions should be pushed back as much as possible, pushed back down to the local level. Um, I mean, what I think should be done is we should get rid of the Department of Education, um, burn up Common Core, implement school choice at a statewide level, uh, things like that. Okay. What is actually going to win elections is a lot of the culture warring, um, pushing back against CRT. I think the message needs to be bigger than CRT. There's a, you know, critical theory or critical pedagogy is kind of the umbrella philosophy. And then you get CRT, you get Marxist pedagogy, you get feminist pedagogy, you get things like that. And I think attacking the umbrella philosophy, it just isn't as icky as picking the race fights just because of America's history. Um, And I think the idea of politicizing the classroom is going to galvanize a lot more people. So I think we need to start to move the conversation up from CRT to like the bigger, the bigger issue. I think discipline is going to become an issue pretty soon here. Yes. Especially we've, you and I have DM about this back and forth a few times. I'm surprised that it hasn't picked up more. I mean, I know me too. The, you saw the video out of, out of Las Vegas, right. Of that student uh, getting the absolute snot beaten out of her. I have not. And I'm, I thought I know one intervened, right? That one. And the girl ended up having a seizure and she had to be transported to the hospital. This was in a high school in Las Vegas. She just had the absolute crap beat out of her on camera. Everyone was wearing masks. Everyone was safe. Don't worry. But she had the absolute crap beat out of her. Um, I, so, um, this is again, a side tangent and I apologize. Please side Um, tangent away. I know. I love side tangent. So I am, Andrew, I haven't told you this yet. Um, So here in Maryland, we are facing a potential um, sort of risk to our homeschooling freedoms as they stand. Um, And if you live in Maryland, um, send me a message of some kind and you should email uh, Delegate Sheila Ruth. You can Google her name, Sheila Ruth, and just tell her that you don't support her latest homeschooling bill. But so I have a friend who did that today. She emailed, um, she emailed Delegate Ruth, and this was part of her email. Um, so she lives in Prince George's County, which is here in Maryland. And I'm just going to read you part of her email. Um, observing the results of Prince George's County education, my college classes, when I was professor at the community college, my college students in my non-remedial college mathematics classes were unable to add three plus two without the aid of a calculator. They could not perform this task using their fingers either. 
They didn't know what a decimal point in a number meant and did not know what the greater than sim signal, sim symbol meant. I realized at that time that our county schools were not just failing in the middle or high school grade level, but starting in the first grade. And so I, I was like, holy hell, like, I know you said that to this, you know, Maryland delegate, but like, is that actually true? Because how could that be possible? Three plus two in a non-remedial math class in college. And she said, that's not, and so this is our conversation now. I have some reading off my phone. Uh, that's not the half of it. I was at Howard Community College first, and it was a night and day difference. A woman in my neighborhood is a public school teacher at a local medium quality elementary school. I was at an, a neighborhood gathering sharing this story, and someone asked, how can this happen? She responded that she knew how it happened, and this was part and she was partly responsible. She said the discipline issues in her classroom were so bad that she had given up trying to teach any math at all after just two months. Yep. I mean, I talked to a lot of teachers in the position that I'm in and all of them. And this isn't just conservative teachers. This is, yeah, I mean, no, she's not conservative. I know. I know. I was, I'm just clarifying. No, I'm I'm, yeah. Yeah. Um, they all complain about the discipline right now. Everyone, all teachers are complaining about the discipline. It kind of, it was becoming a heated issue right before the pandemic happened and then school shut down. So nobody was there. So it just now kind of out to nothing and we came back and, uh, so predates, just to be clear, it predates COVID. Yes, yes, think? yes. Okay. Because there was there was a movement to get rid of punitive discipline in schools, get rid of suspensions. This is to restorative justice? Is that what this yep. is moving so towards? Okay. Replace things like detentions and suspensions with, oh, we're just going to send them to the counselor to have a chat, which I'm This is sorry. like we do with policing, kind of the yeah. same thing. Oh, it's, right? it's the exact same thing. And they're removing, okay. they're removing any kind of police presence from schools also. <laughs> And so it's had this like messed up effect here in Montgomery County where they're calling the police for violence more and more often because they took the, the police out right. of the schools on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, the irony, the schools that get rid of suspension for low-level stuff, you know, just windows. interrupting, 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 interrupting. Eventually, usually you just suspend the kid, even if it's something small yeah. um, and they only keep it around for fights and things like this those schools ended up having more suspensions because instead of getting a short one for just being a jerk, low level jerk, they would get a huge one for picking a fight. And then yeah. the number of fights increase and you're getting these kids that are out for five, six days at a time because there are so many fights in their schools. It's the broken windows effect, but in a school. I have a whole chapter about this in my upcoming book, which <laughs> you should buy, but I don't have a release date yet. So I can't really pitch it. What's the title? Can, the title? Yeah, I was about to say, can we pre-order it? Uh, no, it's still in the editing process. I just finished okay. a rough draft. So we got six seven months probably. Uh, All it's right, called, we'll have to have you come back. It is called what is wrong with our schools. At least that's the working title liable to change. Um, the thesis is basically the problem with our schools is not class size or funding. There is an ideological battle going on mm -hmm. between kind of the traditional theories of education it's okay to make kids sit in a rows. It's okay to ask them to work quietly. Sometimes the teacher has to lecture for five minutes and explain a concept uh, versus the, well, we're just going to let them do whatever they want, which is sort of a progressive theory. And then there's the critical theory, which is all of the politics that we're seeing in the news right now. And that's, I mean, it's part and parcel with what's happening in the parenting world too. It's all the same. Mm -hmm. There's a complete lack of discipline in the home mm -hmm. and that has consequences in the classroom as well. And it, you know, it, all of these things, they're, 
they're all the same. And this, this refusal, I mean, it's the same with the discipline, you know, in I beat my daughter daily. I think that's important. Do you, who was that? What was he called? The bean dad? Oh yes. Yeah. That's, uh, it's called beans. The basically discovery based learning and this idea that if you just let the kid discover it, they're going to learn it better. It's like, no, no, just show them how to do it. And they'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, this, like this idea that like, you shouldn't ever discipline your child that you whatever. I mean, it turns out like your child is a completely lunatic. You have to discipline your child. Yeah. Is it different in private school? I mean, you have the same kind of, I'm sorry, not, not quite the same kind of discipline problem, but do you see that also in private school having such? Um, no, my school, um, I mean, we just don't have as many discipline issues because parents are more involved. Um, and when they do come up, I mean, we have detentions, we, kids go talk to the principal if they have to, um, they, we have this really dumb, it's called a responsibility card where they get points if they do something wrong and it's super arbitrary, but they don't know that yet. And it's like a big, big (laughs) point of shame. If they get a point on their responsibility card and I just have to keep myself from telling them like, you know, you can crumple it up, throw it away and it means nothing. Of course I don't say that to them, but no one's figured it out. They don't know who they they don't. Okay. How do you fix the ed schools? Because we've been indoctrinating teachers now for generations Mm -hmm. in the graduate education schools. You have any thoughts on what has to be done there? Yes, and it's stop trying to fix them because they're not going to build new them. ones, burn them down. I mean, unless we want to, unless we want to undertake a Gramscian march for the next fifty years and have a conservative takeover of the universities, that's our only option. Or a lot of the really successful charter schools out there, I mean, they prefer to get people that haven't gone through the ed schools because right. they have to like untrain them from the bad practices and retrain them in what's good. But a lot of really successful charter schools just do on-the-job training. I mean, they they increase their class size, crazy. So they have a little bit more money, and they hire, you know, an extra um, administrator to whose only job is to go from classroom to classroom, give feedback, um, cover a class, so the teachers can go watch each other, or the the veteran teachers can kind of train the newbies on the job. You know, if you look at um, Success Academy in New York or Michaela schools in London. I mean, they do all of, they just drive home professional development in a meaningful, rigorous way. And I think treating teachers, the the teaching profession more like that, we're just doing on the job training would be more successful in the long run, honestly. Because I think that at this point, the graduate schools are doing more harm than good. And it would be better if far fewer of our teachers graduated from them. Do you do read alouds in your classroom? Frequently, almost every single, not every single day, but um, I just, they're awesome. They're amazing. They're brilliant. They're wonderful. They are, I think the most productive time. They lead to all sorts of extemporaneous conversations. Um, Kids like reading out loud. Yeah, I do them all the time. So what are your favorite books? I think this is going to be my last question. Andrew, you can think of your last question. What are your favorite books to read out loud in your classroom? Any of them? Uh, reading Shakespeare out loud is really fun. The kids really enjoy that. Uh, sword fighting and uh, awkward teenage romance and things like that. They get to act it out. And we, I let them in on a few of the jokes that are made that are inappropriate and about body parts, but not all of them. But we have a laugh. Romeo and Juliet. Is that where you start? 
Romeo and Juliet, okay. and then I also read um, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. Yeah, two Shakespeare's. Oh, what an impressive! What grade I am? Uh, sixth through eight. Okay. So I have three grades. Seventh grade is Romeo and Juliet. Eighth grade is A Midsummer Night's Dream. And do you do you read it like the real thing? Yeah. The real thing. Yeah. Why would I read it? Not a easy ridged or anything like that. No. Straight straight from I the don't... faucet. Straight. My daughter's doing Romeo and Juliet now. Uh, does she like it? Yeah. Like not love. Okay. That's that unfortunate. Say. If any yeah. if any student doesn't like Shakespeare, I'm very angry at that teacher. Um, because he's a Shakespeare he's... expert too. Actually, this is a one, this is outside of school. Okay. So that one's fun to read to the students. I also really like uh To Kill a Mockingbird. I've read it with students so many times at this point that I have different voices that I do. I should not do any of them on the podcast because I don't need to get laughed at, but the students enjoy them. And then they later on in the year be like, oh, like you should read this character in your Atticus voice. Um, so I do lots of voices and it's totally lame and it's totally cheesy, but it's good fun. And the kids like it. Uh, the, I mean, they're like 14 and they're, yeah, they're okay. laughing at. Can you get them to read? I mean, uh, in today's day and age of social media, this is my last question. Mm-hmm. Can you still get kids to read? Can you still get kids to enjoy reading? Are the kids reading on their own outside of school at all anymore? Um, parents at my school tend to get the kids to read in my classroom. I mean, this is what I think is honestly one of the strengths of the teacher led English classroom is if you get, if you just say, we're just going to let the kids pick the books that they want. Like, I'm sorry. Call of duty is nine times out of 10 more fun than reading a novel. It's just more fun. Watching Netflix or dumb videos on YouTube is more fun than reading a novel. But when you, so you give kids time to read, they're either going to distract themselves or the kids that already like reading are going to flourish. And the kids that hate reading are going to do something else. When I have the class reading something together and we're talking about it. And sometimes I explain what's going on to them and I help them connect it to their lives. And we read in funny voices and we laugh together and we cry. T- <laughs> like the girls cry every year at Romeo and Juliet when we're watching it. Like when we have these experiences together, the kids come to right. love the books. Um, and I've had many parents tell me my student, my kid used to hate reading and now they have you and they don't still don't read as much at home as I would like, but they now say they like a book, which is new. They like Romeo and Juliet. That's like amazing. Mock- I mean, that's a you know terrific testament to you as the teacher, but that's what it is. I mean, you need it. You need a great teacher, yeah. which sounds like you are, I, but those are few and far between. I will let you say that. I won't say that about myself because. Okay. Well, I, 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 I'll say it. <laughs> There you go. Where can folks find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Daniel Buck. Uh, I write mostly for National Review. I also am a senior visiting fellow at the Fordham Institute in DC. It's an education think tank. And then the Chalkboard Review is the website that I edit for and founded. So any of those places, again, Twitter's the best um, because that's where I post everything that I write. Everything that I do is there. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. All right. right. Thanks very much. Thanks, Daniel. We hope you enjoyed that. Take back our schools with Daniel Buck this 
this episode. Uh, if you did, and we hope you did, please leave us a five-star review wherever you like to listen to your podcasts on Apple or Spotify or wherever, and leave us a comment on Take Back Our Schools. And we'll see you soon on our next uh, yeah. episode. And follow follow both of us on Twitter. I'm yeah. Bethany Shondark, and you are... Andrew, Andrew Gutman, G-U-T-M-A-N-N, one T, two N. Yeah. Um, I think we were about three episodes into the show before I followed you. Sorry oh, about that. That's okay. <laughs> I wasn't when sure. I followed I... you and it was like that really awkward moment where I was like, sorry about that. I thought I was that's already okay. following. That's really, we've like committed to a podcast together. We've recorded a few episodes, but now I'm going to follow you. So um, it's That's greatly important. appreciated. Yeah. It's a high bar. <laughs> I have to commit to co-hosting a podcast with you for several episodes before I'll follow you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's understandable. You got to test it out. You got to got to see if it works. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll so, see you next time. See you next time. Ricochet. Join the conversation.